You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. So a number of years ago, my wife and I, see, it just hit. It just dropped. A number of years ago, my wife and I, we won an all-expense-paid vacation deluxe package to Germany. Long story short, we had entered a writing contest, and we won, and the award was this all-expense-paid trip. So um, round-trip airfare, a rental car for the time that we were there, and then six days and six nights in these absolutely two beautiful five-star European sophisticated top-shelf hotels. One in the city of Wiesbaden and one in the city of of Munich. And uh, we got absolutely spoiled. Like every day, a fresh bouquet of flowers were delivered to our room. And I'm talking a huge spread of flowers. And then every afternoon, there would be a knock on our door and there would be a waiter. And they would bring us this tray of baked goods and desserts. It was amazing. And then very curiously, anytime that we weren't in our room and that we were down in the lobby area of the hotel, there was a gentleman who worked for the, staff, for the hotel who was like waiting on us hand and foot. He would give us directions to go see things in town. He would make reservations at restaurants that he recommended for us. He would exchange money for us. He, he was waiting on us hand and foot. In fact, when we were checking out of the hotel in Wiesbaden, He was loading the luggage into our car, and he said, may I ask you folks a personal question? And we said, absolutely. And he said, are you too famous? And we just died laughing, and we said, you have no idea how unfamous we are. And so I said to him, I said, why do you ask? And he said, well, because your ticket was marked VIP, and you have received the deluxe treatment. And we said, and you have done an outstanding job. We have thoroughly enjoyed our stay. And then Charlotte and I on our own nickel, we added a few extra days and we went to Switzerland and Austria and we just had an amazing experience. Now I was really excited about winning a trip to Germany for two reasons. One is my favorite period of history is the medieval period. You know, like knights in shining armor and fair maidens and castles and moats. And I love, you know, um, uh, jousting and, and falconers, you know, I just, I, and the legend and the myth that goes around the medieval period. I just have always enjoyed that period of history. The second reason why I was excited about this trip is I'm a bit of an architecture buff. And so I was really excited about getting to visit some castles. And while we were in Germany, we probably visited 10 to 12 uh, different castles. And I was just mesmerized by, you know, the architecture and the design and learning like how they built these massive structures with the rudimentary tools of, of what they knew at the time. It was amazing to see how a castle is designed to accommodate a royal family and how it's designed to protect a royal family in the event of an attack. It's, it's simply amazing. And so of all the things that I learned about castles, one of the things that I learned that I still hold very dearly to today is the fact that I'm really, really grateful 
for modern indoor plumbing. <laughs> Let's just say castles of the medieval period, they hadn't quite figured that whole system out yet. It was still full of a lot of bugs. And um, so it, all I'm gonna say about that is if you ever get a chance to swim in a moat, don't do it. I'm just, just advising you, don't do it. Aren't we thankful for modern indoor plumbing? I mean, just how wonderful our lives is that fresh, clean water comes into our homes any time of the day that we need it to take a shower or to wash dishes or to do laundry. We're, we're thankful for plumbing. We're also probably very thankful for electricity. I mean, think about how much of our life depends on functioning electricity. You know, what was it like a winter ago? Many of us, we lost electricity for many days and we know how inconvenient our lives were. So much of our life is run on electricity. Or how about like ideas of planes, trains, and automobiles? The fact that we can get in a car and go just about anywhere we want as many times as we want, or we can get on an airplane and be at complete opposite side of the globe in just a number of hours. It's, it's amazing that we enjoy that kind of luxury. Or how about things like um, medical services and medicines that we enjoy? It is absolutely amazing what doctors and surgeons can do nowadays to help us maintain a healthy life. Or how about like things like industry, where we live in a nation that can really manufacture just about anything we'd ever want. And then there's the whole side of retail that makes it available to us. We, we live in a wonderful, wonderful world that's full of so many wonderful conveniences. And just take the whole idea of automation, this idea that so much of our life just works automatically if it stays plugged in or has batteries, right? So these are things that make a huge difference in our life. Or how about this idea if you think about how different our nation would be if it weren't for certain people taking the time and the energy to act in a moment of history. I mean, just look at some of these names. Names like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln, Benjamin Franklin, Harriet Tubman, Booker T. Washington, the Wright brothers, Jonas Salk, Thomas Edison, Lewis and Clark. How different would the history of our nation be if these people hadn't done what they did? everything would have been different. Now we might have gotten to where we are today, but the story would be told in a very different way. You see, history's not a record of years. It's a story of moments. You see, life is very different if certain moments had never happened in history. You know, I started attending church when I was in the third grade. And I'm pretty sure I have never missed an Easter service since. So for 50 some years, I've been going to an Easter service. And I'm pretty sure that I've never heard an Easter message quite like the one that's on my heart today. And I'm excited to share it with you. You know, we gather here in moments like these to celebrate Easter, to celebrate our faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for Christians, this is, this is central to everything that we believe. 
It's important that we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they are the center of, of our lives. But you know what? For non-Christians, it's different. These same events leaves people scratching their heads and wondering, really, you guys believe in that kind of stuff? You really believe that he died for the sins of the world? You, you really, come on, you seem like otherwise intelligent people. You really believe that he like rose again from the dead? So these raise some important questions in people's minds. And, and here's one of the questions. Why do Christians place so much importance on the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus? Why is that such a big deal? Well, today I'd like to offer you three reasons. Now, there's certainly more reasons, but today we only have time to explore three of them. I happen to believe that they're the most important three. I want you to stop and think about it for a moment. I mean, think honestly. Easter is a very different occasion if the death of Christ hadn't happened and certainly if the resurrection had never occurred. In fact, if Christ had not died on the cross and resurrected from the dead three days later, there's a very high likelihood that we wouldn't even be here today for this. We wouldn't be celebrating a service for centuries commemorating what happened this time 2,000 years ago if Christ had never resurrected from the dead. I mean, the resurrection is a pivotal moment in human history. Think about it. The disciples, where were they at the time of the crucifixion? Well, shortly afterwards, we know that they were hiding in a room behind locked doors. They were absolutely petrified that the people who had crucified their rabbi, Jesus, would simply come after them to crucify or to kill them, to wipe out all this talk about the Jesus being the Messiah thing. And then three days later, you see them moving throughout Jerusalem and for the coming years, boldly and confidently and courageously announcing the story of the gospel. How do you explain that enormous about face other than that something incredibly and unusual happened that they witnessed with their very own eyes? I think it's interesting that leading up to the resurrection, you don't see the disciples gathered together for some like, you know, resurrection celebration party. Like they're anticipating, hey, just hang on, Sunday's coming. You don't, you don't see them. You don't see like this big group of disciples all around the tomb early Sunday morning. Like, oh, is this going to be a couple more minutes? And like a ball dropping and them kind of 10, 9, 8, 7. We, we don't see any of that. Why? Because the disciples were not anticipating a resurrection. As far as they were concerned, the one who they had followed as their rabbi was dead. And he was going to stay that way. That's all they knew. And then years later, those same disciples who had lived in fear those three days are moving throughout the then known world with an unparalleled courage, telling people about Jesus. And most of those disciples died a martyr's death. So think about that. 
There was a moment when Peter recognized that he was about to be crucified upside down. There was a moment when Thomas understood that that spear that that other man was holding in the country of India was aimed at him and it would pierce his chest. You would think that when it got to the moment of truth, that they were about to die for a lie, something that they didn't really believe to be true, they had just made it up. Now, see, that's hard for me to reconcile. How would somebody be willing to die for something that they knew wasn't true unless in fact it was true? How do you explain their enormous about face from hiding in fear for their lives to boldly proclaiming the news of Jesus being alive had it not been for some extremely unusual turn of events? Oh, I don't know, say like a resurrection? It makes all the difference in the world. You see, if it didn't happen, a lot of things change. And today I wanna, I wanna just highlight for you three of them. So the apostle Paul was one of the early leaders of the first century church he traveled around primarily planning churches, starting gatherings of Christians assembled in various cities. One of the cities that he went to was the city of Corinth. And he would write a couple of letters to this church. One of those we call the book of 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles and you want to join us there, um, you may. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screens. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll be looking at verse 12. We read this. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, why are some of you talking or how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? Because if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then all this talk about Jesus, our preaching, it's useless. And so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is what? It's useless. It's futile. It doesn't make any difference. You're just spending a lot of time doing a lot of things that don't really matter. Your, your faith is futile and, and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, which was a euphemism for having died as Christians, those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're still lost. And if it's only for this life that we have hope in Christ, then we are to be pitied more than all human beings. So you understand the argument that he's having? If there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ didn't rise from the dead. And if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we as Christians, we have a faith that's absolutely worthless. And here's why it's worthless. 
You might have missed this very small phrase in here. You, you are still in your sins. If Christ had not died on the cross and resurrected from the dead, Paul is teaching the church, you're still lost. Your sin is still an issue. You have a serious problem because of the nature of sin before a holy God. Ah, yes, the old pesky sin question. We don't like to talk about it. It's not very popular. Some would rather that we avoid it. But avoiding it would be like not telling your children the dangers of playing in the street. We talk about sin because it's real and it's serious. The Bible describes that all of us as human beings, the preacher, all of us as human beings, we're sinners. All of us, we make choices and have attitudes and pursue things that are contrary to God's design and contrary to God's desire for us. We're all sinners. The Bible describes us as actually being sinful, like we're full of sin. And it's a problem because those of us who are full of sin before a holy and righteous God, we are deserving of punishment. In God's eyes, we've broken his laws. We are criminals and our crimes must be paid for. And the penalty for sin is severe. I mean, to stand before a holy, righteous God with no protection from the penalty of our sin is to stand in the path of God's wrath, his condemnation, and his eternal punishment. That's the predicament that we live in as human beings. So if Christ had not died on the cross, and if he'd not resurrected from the dead, then the first thing we have to recognize is there'd be no forgiveness of sin. There'd be no solution. There'd be no provision. There'd be no payment for the sin that we're guilty of. We would stand before a holy God in our sinfulness and we would be found guilty and we would be judged and we would spend an eternity separated from him. There's an interesting verse in the letter of, of Hebrews. It says this, without the shedding of blood, without the emptying of life, there is no remission of sin. Now, we, we don't use the word remission very often. In fact, I can only think of one instance where we ever use the word remission. It's when we're talking about somebody's cancer being in remission. It's interesting, the word remission means the cancellation of a debt or a penalty, or it can mean a temporary recovery. So what we're talking about is without the loss of life, there's nothing to take care of the payment of sin. But I think it's interesting that this word remission is used in the idea of sin because one of the ways that sin is described or portrayed in the Bible is that it's, it's an illness or a disease. Sin is like a spiritual cancer that eats the soul of a human being alive. And the scriptures is teaching us that unless somebody dies, unless something pays the price, then we are left in that state of sinfulness before a holy God. 
So the first thing that I want us to understand this Easter Sunday is that if Christ had not died and if he had not been resurrected from the dead, then you and I were still lost in our sin. The second thing is this. If there's no payment for sin, there's no gift of salvation. The whole idea of salvation is a solution for the sinfulness that all of us are guilty of. You see, if Jesus had not paid for the penalty of sin by dying on the cross, if he'd not resurrected from the dead, then there is no means of forgiveness. And therefore, there's no gift of salvation. Look at this passage Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. As for you, he's writing to the Christians. As for you, there was a time... There was a time when you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were totally busted. There was nothing that you were going to do to make this right. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. And like the rest, we were by nature, watch this, deserving of wrath. God's wrath as a holy, righteous judge. But... That's not all God is. That's not all that he's like is. But God, because of his great love for us, this holy, righteous, just God is also gracious and merciful and loving and compassionate for you and for me as sinners. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive. How? With Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And then one of the classic verses of the gospel, look at this. For it is by grace, God's goodness, God's eternal kindness, it's by grace that you've been saved. Through faith, not through good works, not through trying to buy it, not trying to behave yourself into it. No, it's through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It, it's a gift. It's free. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that we can't run around taking credit for it. You know, I've been a pastor now for 30 years. Like I said earlier, I, I grew up in church. I've heard the word saved a million times. And I think... Because of its overuse, it's been somewhat emasculated. We don't really understand its significance. The word saved means rescued. So we have to stop and ask ourselves the question, rescued from what? Rescued from what? Rescued from the penalty of our sin, rescued from the wrath of an almighty, righteous, holy God who can't stomach sin. And if he's to be consistent with his character, sin must be judged. It is condemned and it will be punished. But it's in Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection that Jesus reached out and he takes you or he takes me and he pulls us out of the path of God's impending judgment on sinners. And we are rescued, we are saved. For by grace, you're rescued. It's a gift that God's granting to you. How? Through Christ. When he died on a cross and resurrected from the dead, 
If that hadn't happened, there's no payment for sin, no forgiveness of sin, and there's no gift of salvation. And the third thing is this. There's no eternal life in heaven. Because the eternal life in heaven that God promises us is all based on the provision and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection that makes the promises true. I mean, we've heard this verse so many times in our life, but I like us to read it as if we've never heard it before. I mean, listen to this, for God, a holy, righteous, just God, so loved you and us, the world, that he decided to help. He decided to do something for the predicament that we found ourselves in that he gave, he offered his one and only son that whoever would put their faith in him, Jesus shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He did it to save the world through Jesus. Later in the, in the scriptures, Paul writes this. It's just so simple. Here it is. The wages of sin, it's death. But there's this gift of God and the gift is eternal life. And how is it available? Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is why we celebrate Easter. That is why we gather together to remember what happened in this season 2,000 years ago to remember that Christ died for a purpose and then he raised in power to offer you and I the forgiveness of our sin, the gift of salvation and the hope of eternal life. Everything that we believe as Christians hinges on Easter. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we as Christians, we have hope. We have a hope that nobody else possesses outside of a relationship with Jesus. I mean, it's this simple. The hope that we have as Christians because of the death of Jesus and his resurrection is number one is my sins are forgiven. All of those wrong choices that I've made in the past of my life, they're forgiven. All the things that I still wrestle with and in, in obeying God with is, is forgiven. All the things that I will struggle with in the future, they're all forgiven because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I'm saved. Or here's another way to say it. I'm safe. I'm safe from the impending wrath of a holy God who demands that sin be paid for. Because Jesus paid the price for me I'm safe because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know that I will spend eternity in heaven when I die. But if Christ had not died, if he had not resurrected from the dead, then my sins are not forgiven. I am not saved and I will spend eternity in hell when I die. I mean, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is found in who? Jesus, his son. So whoever has the son has this eternal life that God offers. But, but whoever does not have the son of God does not have eternal life. Does that make sense? 
So I want to leave you with a lesson from history that has very particular application to why we're here today. You guys interested? I know, I know, I know. We want to stop talking about it. We just want to forget about it. We just want to pick up and move on. We're done with all this talk about a pandemic. We've lived the last two years. It's been an unprecedented period of history. I mean, unless you're over 100 years old, none of us have ever lived through a pandemic before. But we're tired of it. We want to move on. Stop talking about it. Or is that just me? But here's the deal. History is intended to teach us lessons. And if we rush too fast through history, we risk missing the lessons that it has to teach us. In fact, the Bible in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that wise men and women, they pay attention to history. They pay attention to life as it unfolds because there's lessons in it for them. So, yeah, I'm, I'm all done talking about the pandemic. But I don't want us to miss some important lessons. And one of the lessons that I think is really important is that we learn from what we experienced. I love this quote. Huxley says, that men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is in fact the most important of all lessons of history. So let's, let's learn from the last two years. You ready? I believe this is a lesson to be learned from the last two years. We all assume the risk of what we choose to believe. From mask to mandates, we all assume the risk of what we choose to believe. From which vaccines to take to which doctors to trust, we all assume the risk of what we choose to believe. From elections to impeachments, we, we all assume the risk of what we choose to believe. From politics to journalists, from science to legislation, we all assume the risk of what we choose to believe. Do you understand the point? Okay, so listen, it's true in all arenas of life. From religion to ideology, we all assume the risk of what we choose to believe. From philosophy to theology, we all assume the risk of what we choose to believe. So here's what we know. Some people, they choose to believe that all this talk about the death of Jesus Christ, the offer of salvation, the resurrection from dead, they choose to believe that that's all a bunch of nonsense. That it's all just myth or fable or even lunacy. That it doesn't really matter and it didn't really happen. And then there's some of us, and we choose to believe it, hook, line, and sinker. We, we believe all of it. We believe that Jesus was God come to earth. 
We believe that the death that he died on the cross was not just some unfortunate turn of events for an itinerant preacher, but that he was in fact dying for the sins of the world of which mine are included. We believe that the payment that Jesus provided at the cross was, was to satisfy the righteous and holy demands of a God who insists that sin be paid for. We believe that when he resurrected from the dead, he was able, he had the power over sin and death to offer us forgiveness and to extend to us the gift of salvation. We, we choose to believe that and we assume the risk with it. We assume the risk that some people may look at us and think we're completely idiotic. But here's the deal. If it's not true, then like Paul taught the church in Corinth, then we are to be pitied. We're just fools to believe such nonsense. But, but if it is true, if the death that Jesus died was in fact a payment for sin, if it is true that he resurrected from the dead to demonstrate that he was like any other person who's ever been on this earth and he was God come to earth and able to offer salvation to mankind, if it is true, the stakes could not be higher. Eternity weighs in the balance. So I encourage all of you, think carefully about what you choose to believe about Jesus because it makes all the difference in the world. So Easter has been taking place for centuries. And for years, you have been taking part in Easter services. I have a question for you. The question is this, has Easter taken place in you? Has Easter taken place in you? Is it more than just this time-honored tradition for you and your family to get to church and, and then go out to lunch and spend the day together? Is it more than that for you? Or is Easter something deeply personal to you? That you recognize that, that that death of Jesus Christ on the cross, that was for you. Like personally, in your sin, it was for you. That that resurrection that Jesus accomplished, that it was, it was for you. And that you understand that through that resurrection, Jesus is in fact entitled to be able to offer you the gift of salvation. Is it personal to you? If you're hearing the sound of my voice today in the room or online, and it's not personal yet, understand that you assume the risk what you choose to believe. And if you would like to talk about it, explore it, I would be honored to sit down with you and have that discussion. As would most members of our staff team. Most members? Okay, all of them. 
They would love to have that discussion with you. But whatever you do, answer the question, has Easter taken place in you? Thank you so much for being here today. I invite you to come back. This is actually part one of two. I'm gonna continue the discussion next week about what difference does the resurrection make? Perhaps you might be interested in learning a little bit more about what it is that we've been talking about today. I'd love to have you come back and be our guest. We're so glad that you shared Easter with us. Now, while I have you here, can I have everyone's attention? Can I have everyone's attention? I need you to do us a favor. It's easy. It won't cost you a dime, but we need your help. We have 30 minutes before we do another one of these services. It'd be really easy for them to start arriving while you're exiting. So it'd be really helpful to us if you're here today, when you leave our campus, would you go out the Saratoga exit on the back side of our property? Could you do that? We'll have some folks directing you that way. Don't be ornery and say, no, I'm not gonna do it. Just, it's Easter for crying out loud. If you could help us out in that way, that would be really helpful for folks who are going to be arriving for our second service. Make sense? Let me ask you to stand together. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for Easter and all that it means, all that it is, all that it accomplished and all that it provides. And I pray for every person in this room and online who's enjoying the service with us together today. I just pray that all of us would come to see Easter as very real. And that we would find ourselves in the story of the gospel that we, we needed a savior. And his name was Jesus. And he died in our place to offer us the gift of salvation so that we could be restored to a relationship with the holy and loving God and know beyond the shadow of a doubt, we're safe. And we'll look forward to spending an eternity with you because of all that Jesus did at the cross and his resurrection, for which we are grateful. In Christ's name we pray, amen.